Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Well, we're here. Still here. We're still here. Our hair has not been cut. No, it's getting real bad. Toilet paper seems to be back. So Toilet that's paper's good. back. Yeah. Toilet paper's back. I'm very happy about totally this. Totally in style again. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> it's so in right now. Toilet paper. I think that it's so weird how where we are in this book right now, in this mm-hmm. series rather, mm-hmm. is so relevant to our world. Holy like, this shit. This series hasn't become less relevant. It's become more relevant. Absolutely. And I think that's a trend that will continue. Yeah. Uh, You know, unfortunately, because where I know the series is going, I don't want it to be relevant. I know. know? Yeah. But it very much is. And we have a couple of one really heavy chapter and one very action packed chapter. Yeah. With some heavy stuff in it, too. With some very heavy stuff. Before we jump into that. One thing that we forgot in the past couple of weeks to clarify that our manager of mischief josh bailey let us know is that we apparently are confusing (laughs) yanni with yo-yo ma yanni and yo-yo ma so you may remember the vagina eggs conversation a couple (laughs) of episodes ago the yanni egg and then both of us just sort of spoke about yanni like he's a cello player but that is yo-yo ma no he's not he's a singer (laughs) so we're really sorry to yanni and yo-yo ma and all seven fans of them both. <laughs> hey, Yo-Yo Ma is like an established mofo. So is Yanni. Sure. Yanni has had quite a respectable career. Sure. Yeah. I'm not hating on either of the whys. Right. I don't know why. I get, yeah. I, guess I don't know a, why. <gasps> How dare you. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, so we're covering chapters 31 and 32, The mm, Third mm, Task mm. and Flesh, Blood, and Bone. Which I wish that I had never read. Right. I, you can't unread it. You can't unread any of those words. It's really distressing. And I usually read 
either the morning before we record or the night before. And this was the first time in this entire podcast that I read this like four days ago, just because I really wanted to read the next two chapters. Yeah, you were so excited to read the next couple of chapters. But I will tell you, you know, you've had like four days to stew on this. I don't know. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, I'm reading first. Dumbledore reckons you know who's getting stronger again as well, Ron whispered. Everything Harry had seen in the pensive, nearly everything Dumbledore had told and shown him afterwards, he had now shared with Ron and Hermione, and of course with Sirius, to whom Harry had sent an owl the moment he had left Dumbledore's office. The thin man stepped out of the cauldron, staring at Harry, and Harry stared back into the face that had haunted his nightmares for three years. Whiter than a skull, with wide, livid, scarlet eyes, and a nose that was flat as a snake's with slits for nostrils, Lord Voldemort had risen again. Jesus H. Christ. Very eventful conclusion to flesh, blood, and bone, for sure. And I was saying last week that, you know, that's kind of one of those all-time chapters, just in terms of, like, the, the visuals and, of course, the events of it. It's a big deal chapter, even though it's, you counted it up, it's, it's six pages? Is it's that like eight pages. Eight maybe? pages. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really short. Now, the third task, however, pretty hefty little chapter. Lots to, lots to cover there. And, you know, once again, we start this with Harry filling in Ron and Hermione about the crazy shit that's just happened. Yeah, the pensive and the three trials that he saw and exactly. all that stuff. And Ron and Hermione really have this kind of like, oh shit kind of vibe like this is no longer the three detectives staying up too late in the common room to talk through the facts of the case the nancy drew days are over in the wizarding world absolutely at this point in the series and i think that ron and hermione as harry is telling them this i think they realize how important and how ominous all of this news is and they're obsessed with the answers, mm-hmm. especially Hermione. Yes. Hermione. Hermione. Very obsessed with the answers. And she's just kind of sitting there and, and she starts talking about Rita Skeeter. And, you know, she's talking about Bagman. She was saying, Rita said something about curling my hair. You know, like I could tell you things about Bagman that would curl your hair. And maybe this is what she meant. Ron, of course, has to chime in about Maxime. And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe she is. She's half giant. And it's like, Ron, this is. Why I gave Fudge the loser spot last week. Watch it, buddy. Yeah, the two theories that they're discussing are, one, maybe Rita was right about Bagman, because here we see him on trial for perhaps sharing information with Rookwood, who was a Death Eater, who was his dad's friend, who could have been like an uncle-ish to him. Right. And then, two, did Madame Maxime attack Crouch? Crouch comes out of the woods... Because Victor Crumb's doing his fake-ass talk with Harry. Oh, okay. Doubling down on that, I see. And then Harry runs back Mm -hmm. to the school, right? Totally carefully (laughs) crafted there. (laughs) And he comes back. Crumb has been stunned, and Crouch is gone. Yeah. Moody comes out, goes and looks for him. Yeah. Somebody saw Madame Maxine. Like, maybe she came in and... Whacked him over the head or something. Yeah, isn't all of this just because of the proximity to the Beaubaton carriage? Like, I don't even think Maxime was ever seen outside of the carriage. I think that's literally all they have to go on. And Hermione's reaction to this is frickin' like stand up, clap for this girl. I want to read what she says. Okay. Of course she doesn't, said Hermione sharply, looking up. 
Look what happened to Hagrid when Rita found out about his mother. Look at Fudge jumping to conclusions about her just because she's part giant. Who needs that sort of prejudice? I'd probably say I had big bones if I knew that's what I'd get for telling the truth. Mic drop moment for her. Because this is coming on the heels of Ron speculating about Maxime and saying, yeah, well, she doesn't want to admit that she's half giant. And Hermione's like, of course she fucking doesn't. Yeah, would you? Would you? Look at the way you're talking about her. Look at the way Fudge is talking about her. It's these kinds of moments that we need the people in our lives to call out microaggressions and implicit bias and things that we, you know, we all think we're great people, but we say shit like this and we don't realize that the subtext of what we're saying is based in prejudice. And this is what Hermione is good at. This is her radar. She's constantly picking up on this stuff. Yes. Maybe that's another reason she would, quote unquote, make a good R. Right. Right. She's seeing through the bullshit, quite frankly, is what she does. It's just such a good moment. She took a DNA test. And what were the results? (laughs) She is 100% that bitch. I thought that's what you'd say. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Scientific testing. So here he goes to bed and he's got some musings and and you had some interesting things to say about this moment when you read it a few days ago. I want to read this okay. or either have you read it. Either oh, I, w- I want to hear you read it. To me, this is the single best page in this entire <gasps> series Holy up shit. until this point. Damn. And we'll talk about what this moment means to me for our hero. Okay. In my notes, I have. Harry's fucking Rambo moment is literally (laughs) what I have written in my book. Harry and Ron went slowly upstairs to their dormitory. As Harry pulled on his pajamas, he looked over at Neville's bed. True to his word to Dumbledore, he had not told Ron and Hermione about Neville's parents. As Harry took off his glasses and climbed into his four-poster, he imagined how it must feel to have parents still living but unable to recognize you. He often got sympathy from strangers for being an orphan, but as he listened to Neville's snores, He thought that Neville deserved it more than he did. Lying in the darkness, Harry felt a rush of anger and hate toward the people who had tortured Mr. and Mrs. Longbottom. He remembered the jeers of the crowd as Crouch's son and his companions had been dragged from the court by the Dementors. He understood how they had felt. Then he remembered the milk-white face of the screaming boy and realized with a jolt that he had died a year later. It was Voldemort, Harry thought, staring up at the canopy of his bed in the darkness. It all came back to Voldemort. He was the one who had torn these families apart, who had ruined all these lives. Oh, this is where our hero steps into being our hero. Absolutely. He has identified the enemy and there's no turning back. This is his Batman moment. Yeah. This is every hero's moment of no more, Mr. Nice Guy. Yes, that's such a perfect song. And the reason that I have Rambo moment, we talked a little bit about this the day that I read it, is that the first Rambo movie, which is actually just called First Blood. Yes, you get very sensitive about this. It's not called Rambo. So John Rambo is a Vietnam vet, and he's just passing through this this little town, and this backwoods sheriff fucks with him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, man, I don't want any fucking problems. I'm just passing through town, forces him to leave town. Keeps pushing his buttons until he has a reason to arrest him and bring him down to the station. And then the aggression continues from the rest of the sheriff's department. And he finally is like, enough is enough. And he gets out of his restraints and kicks the guy's asses 
and now he's on the run. And now you've got all these cops looking for him and stuff. And there's a part in the movie where he's like, I didn't start this, man. You did. And now Rambo's out in the woods, and he's having to fight against all these people that are looking for him. And he has a wicked cool motorcycle, and it's just amazing. Oh, yes. But this is Harry's moment. It's like, let's go. As a reader, I'm like, let's do it. Let's Absolutely. go. Kick Absolutely. this guy's ass. You're ready, Harry. Yeah. You've gone through enough. You know who you are. Yeah. It's time to realize that it's also sad because it's almost like it's time to realize that there's something greater than yourself and a cause that's more important than your own life. Absolutely. And I think from this point forward, Harry's MO in life is going to be to take down Voldemort at all costs. For sure. I don't think he's going to be a kid anymore after this moment. Right. I don't think that anything is going to matter except eliminating this bastard from the world. Definitely. And I can't freaking wait. Yes, sweet. Like, give him a machine gun and let's go. Let's go. I have written really big in my notes, let's go. Let's go. And this is... I think one of those really cool times, cool times, depressing times, you know, I think it depends on what angle you look at it from, where the the line between the fictional world and the real world becomes really transparent, you know, yeah. and, and the I think there's a lot of versions of our own Voldemort happening right now and a lot of Harry's right now going enough. Yeah. And that's that's a big deal. Yeah. The. Lord Voldemort is regaining his strength. Unfortunately. Yeah. Harry still needs to practice. He still needs to kind of nail these Rambo moments aside. He still needs to nail these spells. And one thing that I wrote down that I absolutely love is that Ron and Hermione are continuing to help him practice. And they themselves are getting better. They make a mention of like, well, we'll really ace our defense against the dark arts test. And I just love that like through helping their friend, they're also becoming more skilled. Like Ron just like casts impedimenta against like a wasp, I think, when it comes in the room. And it's like, Ron is not traditionally like all that impressive with a wand, you know? No. <laughs> his uh, his just, wand ain't that impressive, right, if you know what I mean. Just ask the girls <laughs> at Hogwarts. Or the guys in the prefect bathroom. I mean, hey. <laughs> He's got an egg up his arse, he does. <laughs> anyway. And it's just, I don't know, there's something so cool to me, and I don't think I can really put it exactly in the words I want to, about through the act of helping someone else, you are becoming stronger too. And like, helping someone does not limit the help to the person being helped. Right. You know, everyone can kind of share in that Better together. Absolutely. So Harry's learned the impediment jinx, the reductor curse. He learned the directional charm that Hermione taught him which essentially turns his wand into a compass. Mm -hmm. And he's still having a little bit of trouble with the shield charm, which is Protego. I don't think they mentioned the the word, but it's Protego. Which is a great pasta sauce, by the way. Protego and meatballs. (laughs) I don't know. You know what makes the pasta good? A little expelliarmus. (laughs) I know they all do sound a little bit Italian. I mean, they're Latin. What is this, a Carabas menu? (laughs) (laughs) 
God, I want some of that bread with the oil and the vinegar and the salt. You always want some bread with some oil. Yes, I do. Yeah. You don't get it a lot, but I think that you think about it quite a bit. I do. I think it's like my aesthetic. It's like bread with oil and vinegar. Also, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show. <laughs> you love foods that are all around the same color. You love to say that. You this. like foods that are tan and beige. <laughs> like not true. it doesn't matter. It could be a dessert. If I go to pick out a cookie for you, <laughs> if there's literally a buffet, I would just say, hmm, there's a color range that she likes to stay in, and it's tan and beige. No, 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 no. Because you're making it out like I don't like vibrantly colored vegetables or I'm not a huge fruit gal. You're not. not It's a a hard thing for you. It's a really hard. I like bananas. Of course, those are like the beige fruit of the bunch. Here we go. See? But I like vegetables. I like red peppers and yellow peppers and green. I like green vegetables and all of that. You know what's your favorite vegetable? What? Potatoes. (laughs) Potatoes are are my favorite vegetable. Maybe you should amend this to say my favorite foods. Yes, a lot of your favorite foods are beige. Right. And I'm not really like, in terms of like sweets and stuff, I tend to gravitate more towards like vanillas and custards and things like that, rather than something aggressively red, like a strawberry something. I don't know. Aggressively red. (laughs) It all just seems so aggressive. Okay. We also have an interesting moment during this practice sesh where they look out the window and they see Malfoy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like... I think it's Harry who says he looks like he's using a walkie-talkie. Yeah. I put in my notes Dick Tracy watch. You know, Dick Tracy has that watch. Or an Apple watch. Yes. Yeah, nowadays an Apple watch where Mm -hmm. you kind of talk into it. But it's something. They don't see a device necessarily. He's just kind of talking into his hand. Yes. Which immediately is like, well, here we go. Yeah. This is how Rita got all her information. You've got your suspicious face on. As soon as I brought up Malfoy, you were like, "Mm mm-hmm. And you got your, like, suspicious little expression. And let me give you a little spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This won't be the first and only time in this episode that I talk about this Dick Tracy watch. Because I think this thing is more important than we think. Oh, my God. We'll get there. Okay, I'm really excited. So, in between practice and the third task, we basically just have this lead up. We know that Sirius is sending daily owls at this point going, hey. Do you remember that all the stuff happening outside of Hogwarts is not your concern and you can do nothing about it? Focus. 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 <laughs> like X's and O's. Love you. Bye. Yeah. Serious. Every day. Daily owls. I mean, what else has he got to do? He's, He's like, hey, man, I know this is super huge, but you need to focus on this third task because I'm still really nervous about why you're even in this tournament, which Absolutely. I am, too. Absolutely. We all are at this point. I mean, especially after reading the chapter Flesh, Blood and Bone. But I really, I love the thought, well, and I'm also saddened by the thought of Sirius just like back in that cave. Clearly, he's just constantly thinking about Harry. But he also knows, like, he can't do anything. He can't go to Hogwarts Mm. and be a godfather. He can't. He'll literally be, his soul will be sucked out. I mean, The best he can do is turn into a dog at night. Yeah. Run down. Have sex with another dog, Whoa. eat some chicken Whoa. scraps out back of a restaurant, Whoa. and then go back to his cave. I That <laughs> took a, a turn I wasn't quite expecting. So here's something I put in my notes that I did want to bring up okay. about the last episode. Okay. So in the last episode, we talked about how Dumbledore tells Harry, 
I've also been writing series. I'm the one that suggested the cave. Like, I know right. all this is going on. Yeah. You know what I thought? What? Thanks for the hamburger, Dumbledore. Okay, so that's a good point. He's in there eating rats. Dumbledore told him, here's the cave where you can stay. Here's where you're safe. Also, I'm the most powerful wizard in the world, and I'm not sending you a fucking hamburger. Okay. Okay, but. Throw the guy some chicken or something. There, We don't know that he hasn't been, because maybe Sirius is eating rats out of a weird Pettigrew revenge fantasy. No, because he makes it like... He's so ravenously hungry yeah. when Harry brings the Popeye's fried chicken <laughs> and he's like, oh, thank God I've been eating rats this whole time because this cheap bastard Dumbledore <laughs> can't even send a block of cheese my way. I mean, I'm trying desperately to like cling to reasons why this would be the case. I mean, I think Dumbledore knows like Sirius can take care of himself and wouldn't it be an unnecessary risk? To set, he'd have to send it by owl, probably, or he'd have to go there himself. Dumbledore is not exactly an anonymous figure, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, dumb, and especially with Rita Skeeter hanging around the village, Dumbledore would, you know, be spotted wandering the outskirts yeah, of Hogsmeade. Much. Also, he doesn't endanger adults, he only likes to endanger children. Correct. Yeah, that's that's his MO, typically. Well, speaking of Rita. Oh, God. We have another another copy of the old Daily Prophet just <laughs> came fresh off the press. Comes the morning of the third task. Like, Jesus, lady. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knew. And it's basically this article painting Harry as a dangerous, like, unbalanced lunatic who, like, regularly collapses, may be brain damaged, may be just seeking attention, it's and you notice like all of the things are like top expert at St. Mungo's. She doesn't name them. Yeah. You know, it's just such typical like gotcha, vague bullshit journalism. But you know people are eating it up. You know what I would like to ask JK? What? How many times did you think about Princess Diana when you wrote about Rita Skeeter and the Daily Prophet? Sure. Because yeah. we've watched a couple documentaries about Princess Di. Yeah. And the media's just absolutely horrendous treatment of her and her privacy and the whole paparazzi fascination with the royal family and all that stuff. It's just every time Rita comes up, I can't not think about yeah. the sun and the inquirer and all of those just horrible rags that like to ruin people's lives. For sure. And that even, you know, with Princess Diana was before the days of social media where, I mean, I think that is just gasoline on that same fire. Yeah. You know, I think there are a lot of contemporary people who are very much under a super unfair microscope. I mean, if I sat here long enough, I could probably give you 25 horrendous examples of this within the past two years. Yeah. You know, but it also brings up this interesting point because JK was in the in the news again. I mean, quite frankly, in our country, it is like we have way bigger fish to fry. So a lot of people, this wasn't on their radar. Right. Not that this isn't important. I'm just saying like our news is being dominated by other things. But she, you know, once again, spouted some turf bullshit on Twitter. And so then you have someone who is also self-sabotaging and also like providing 
so much of their own freaking rope through social media. So then we have this extra layer of people Weird. being able to really screw themselves on social media. Yeah. And it's just, wow. But, you know, just like we said the first time this came up, we're we're here for the art, not the artist, right? And you can love art without necessarily being fully behind the artist. So the Daily Prophet article is Harry Potter disturbed and dangerous. <laughs> not even a question mark, just like a statement. Yeah, it's not Harry Potter disturbed and dangerous. <laughs> no, it's this is the truth. We have a quote from Draco. So Draco, you know, there is a connection there. We don't know what that is Dick yet. Tracy watch. Here okay, we go. Okay, there we go. And, you know, was there anything in this article that you wanted to highlight especially? Well, the things that they talked about are his scar headaches. And the thing that Malfoy contributed the biggest to is talking about how he speaks parcel tongue at yeah. that duel and how he was sicking a snake on a kid and this whole thing comes back up. Yep. But as a whole, I think this is another super important hero development story device. Yes, how so? And that is our hero is being outcast just as he's coming into his own as a warrior. Yep. You always need this. Yes. First there's the declaring of the enemy. Mhm. And the solidification of the mission ahead. Yeah. And then there's the outcasting of the hero, which further isolates him and further makes his mission that much more important. Absolutely. We've seen really small scale examples of this, like in book two, when the school thought that he was the heir of Slytherin and he was kind of outcast. Yeah. But that was limited to the school. Now we're seeing exactly what you just talked about, or at least the start of exactly what you just talked about on maybe not a global scale, but you got to figure the Daily Prophet has a pretty big reach. So this is, at the very least, the wizarding world in Britain is going to be reading this article. And you figure, like, we know the way news is consumed in our world. It's like, I don't know, I'm completely making this up, but 70% of people just take whatever they read at face value. And I think that's being generous. Yeah, nowadays. So, yeah. And so you've got now an article going out into the world that's making this suggestion. Yeah, this is not... Um, even though Harry is like not concerned and not bothered with this article in this moment, like this doesn't bode well, you know? No. So I'm convinced at this point, Malfoy is the one giving information to Rita through his stupid little walkie talkie. It seems that way. And this is not for nothing. This whole thing. Okay. Wait for it. <laughs> this keeps teasing and I'm, us. I'm mad about it too. Okay. So like I said, Harry's not bothered by this article. I think this is a great moment. Like Ron and Hermione wait for him to finish reading it. And they're just like looking at him, just like waiting for the reaction. And he's like, oh, well, she's gone off me a bit, hasn't she? <laughs> you know, like, okay, fine, whatever. And Hermione has this moment yes. that we've seen before. It's a Hermione light bulb moment. Yes. Where a light bulb goes off and she's like, wait a second. Yep. Shit, I've got to go to the library. Mm -hmm. Which, thank God, because she usually figures things out when she does that. This is what and happened. something about Rita. Yes. This is what happened when she figured out the basilisk mm -hmm. in book two. Now, she got petrified before then. But you're, you're exactly right. It was exactly the same type of moment where it was just like she has these 
the neurons fire in exactly the right way. And she's like, <gasps> and she says some words, she, you know, she's definitely not allowed, but that would explain why Moody couldn't see her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. weird. She's There's, definitely, she knows something going she on. She knows something. Yes. McGonagall comes to get Harry. Remember that the champions don't have to take exams. So while Ron and Hermione are kind of off to either continue studying for their exams or I don't, I think they're, I don't remember exactly when their exams start. I think they might start that day. McGonagall comes to the breakfast table and she's like, Harry, all of the champions need to meet after breakfast. Your families are here. And Harry's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like the Dursleys have showed up. Yeah. To okay. wish me well on the third task. So he's already thinking about like how he's going to spend this time. He's like, yeah, maybe I'll go do this. Maybe I'll go do that. And as he's passing the room where everyone is, Cedric pokes his head out and he's like, Harry, come on. Like they're waiting for you. And it's kind of sad because Harry has this moment where he's like, surely the Dursleys didn't come. And and I don't know, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but I don't know if there's even a little bit of hope for him that like if the Dursleys had showed up, like I think he would have been kind of It would have been someone. It would have been someone. It says utterly perplexed Harry got up. So I want to read this little bit. Yeah. Cedric and his parents were just inside the door. Victor Crumb was over in a corner conversing with his dark-haired mother and father in rapid Bulgarian. He had inherited his father's hooked nose. On the other side of the room, Fleur was jabbering away in French to her mother. Fleur's little sister, Gabrielle, was holding her mother's hand. She waved at Harry, who waved back, grinning. Then he saw Mrs. Weasley and Bill standing in front of the fireplace beaming at him. Oh, my God. I cried. Yeah. I literally cried when I read this. Yeah. It's so moving. That's his family. His family is there to see him. It's not his biological family, but that shit doesn't matter. Has Molly redeemed herself a bit in this moment for she you? She definitely has, especially because Harry does go on to essentially call her out on that bullshit about her believing all of that yeah. stuff about Hermione and Molly kind of lets it go. I'm still a little pissed at her, but... Yes, I would say that her actions in this chapter, she's definitely not a loser this week. Let's put it that way. And what's really touching about this is also the fact that Bill is there. Yeah. Because you see how much the entire family loves Harry. Yeah, absolutely. And Bill's a big deal. Bill has Bill's a really a good, deal. respectable career. He's probably a busy guy. Good looking and, fella. Yeah, good looking fella. He looks a little Tiger King-ish with his like earrings and ponytail and that type of stuff. You know? <laughs> oh no, I can't unsee Tiger King. It's Bill Weasley. <laughs> Tiger Kingsley. Brian Wackler, <laughs> get on it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but it's just so sweet that they're there. And they say surprise. Yeah. And it's great also that Bill's there because Bill has like only met Harry in person a couple of times. You know, Bill was mentioned from book one, but this was the first time as readers we met Bill was this book. I like to call him Willie Weasley. Willie Weasley. <laughs> this reminded me of when uh, I had to put our cat Gabriel down, which was in, I think, like 2018. Right. Yeah. Um, and I came out of the vet's office and my buddy John was there. Yeah, I know. That's your your family. You know, your family are, are the people who show up for you when you need it most. And I think especially when you haven't asked for it. You know, Harry didn't ask 
Molly and Bill to show up for him. It didn't even cross his mind to do that. They did it anyway. I love JK's one-two punches in the fields. Yeah. Yeah. You're riding along. You're like, wow, what's going on? Man, a Rookwood, Bagman, and wow, Malfoy, and the Dick Tracy watch. And how does Rita Skeeter know the thing? And da 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 And then she's like, oh, remember your heart that's invested in this story? Yeah. Let me make you cry again. Because you haven't cried in about nine chapters. So here you go. Here's the water. rectify that. So we're going to give you two chapters. In my notes, it says, stop. With a bunch of tears. I'm crying now, (laughs) thinking about it. I know. Don't worry. There are moments to come that I guarantee you I cannot hold it together for. So, And guess who's back? Who's back? The literal worst. The literal worst Amos Amos Diggory. Fuck this guy. I hate this guy so, so, so much. And Cedric's still cool. Cedric is awesome. I love Cedric. Yeah. He's essentially saying, Harry... I know my dad's a fucking dickhead. My dad's an asshole. Yeah, you've got. I mean, I had friends ahead. growing up that were like, "We're just gonna stop at my house for a minute. I have to let you know my dad's an asshole, or my stepdad's a piece of shit." Like, just ignore whatever he says to you. Absolutely. I don't ever want to be that kind of parent. Hell no. We want to be the cool parents, like a cool mom. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> That's gonna be me. Maybe. Probably not. So Mrs. Weasley <laughs> dropped some information on us. Yeah. That Percy is being questioned. Yes. Because perhaps Crouch's instructions were not actually sent by Crouch. <gasps> What'd you make of this? I wrote Imperious Curse Interesting. all over again. What I've been saying, Crouch is under some sort of Imperious Curse and Percy, like I've said, Percy the Patsy. Mm-hmm. Percy's unimportant. They don't care. No. And so they're just using him just to, it just gets him off Crouch's trail. Sure. Like, sure. We'll put this kid in his place and we'll just feed his assistant whatever bullshit he wants right. to hear. And right. he'll give that to the ministry and they'll be like, okay, we'll take it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Percy being a patsy here. And you kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I feel kind of bad for Percy as pompous and dickish as he is. You know, this really sucks. He's the assistant to this guy. A bunch of shit's going down that, you know, he's just the messenger. And now he's being dragged in for all sorts of questioning. It sucks. And you can tell Molly's kind of worried about it. And we have this really great afternoon at Hogwarts. Because remember, the task doesn't happen until the evening. And they're just sort of like wandering the grounds. And Molly and Bill are reminiscing. And, you know... It's they go back up to the castle for lunch and they meet back up with Ron and he's talking about his exams. And it reminded me of like, do you remember those days at school where like your parent would come to the school for whatever reason? Like it was field day or I just remember like certain days at school where it was like your mom came with you. And yeah. it was just I loved those days. And Bill is getting to relive his childhood. Yeah. So he's like, oh, my God, is is the night guy still here? And oh man, I remember the great hall. We had such great feast here. Yes, yes. And we have the moments where Fleur and one of the paintings are like eyeing Bill, like up and down. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, Bill, Bill's some hot shit. I'm, I'm telling you.
So like I said, Harry does set the record straight with all of this Harry, Hermione, Molly bought it shit and all of that squashed. It's yeah. done. But she is cold to Hermione at first before that happens. And that's why I'm still like not totally okay. Like I'm still a little bit mad at Molly, but I'm willing to forgive her. It's fine. Yeah, that moment is. Hello, Hermione, said Mrs. Weasley much more stiffly than usual. Hello said Hermione, her smile faltering at the cold expression on Mrs. Weasley's face. There's still a little beef here. Absolutely. And it's bullshit. Not okay with it, Molly. So they have this fun thing coming up that evening, which is the third task. Yeah. And the kids are terrified. But it seems like all the adults are like, oh, this will be cute. It's like a sporting event. Yeah, no one's going to get hurt. It's like the big football game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's only Hogwarts. (laughs) You know, there's only been one student killed and she still floats around (laughs) and looks at naked boys. I know it's really, really problematic. And the third task begins. Yes. So the hedges are 20 feet, just like they said Haggard would get them to. Yeah, that's big. And at any time you can be rescued by shooting red sparks out of the end of your wand. So you can throw up this flare. Yeah. You can throw up a flare and then they'll come pull you out. Definitely. And they're going to be patrolling the outside. They're going to be watching for this. But if you do this and they come in and get you, the third task is done. You're disqualified from it. Zero points. You know, the stakes are high for that. And we have a moment where Harry is debating sending up sparks of his own and and ends up talking himself out of it. We'll get to that. It's throwing in the towel. Exactly. But if you were like truly, I mean, there are some legit dangerous things in this maze, you know, that we'll get to. It is conceivable that you could find yourself in a life threatening situation or even just a mentally threatening situation. If you're just like, you know what? Fuck the Triwizard Tournament. I am done. Come get me. That would be me like five minutes into the third task. Oh, yeah, before I even walked in the maze. I'd be like, nah, I don't really want to do this. So they stagger their entrances into the maze. Yep. And this made me feel like when the Hunger Games start in that series. <gasps> With the cannons. And you're just like, oh, God, here we oh, go. Oh, that is so true because the cannons in the Hunger Games, it's such a powerful storytelling device because that's the signal that someone has died. Yeah. And the sound of it, like in the movie anyway, where you can hear it. In the distance, that boom. Ooh. Oh, it gives me chills. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even think about that. So Harry and Cedric enter the maze together because they're tied for first. Yeah. So the order is determined by where you are in points. So they enter at the same time. Harry has this crazy moment where he said he's he's not sure if it was just the acoustics of the maze or if it was enchanted, but like the minute they enter, you just like cannot even hear the crowd anymore, which is so eerie to me. Yeah. And they go in and they decide to split up. You know, they're like, I mean, of course they, of course they're going to split up, you know. See you later, man. And so Harry goes one way, Cedric goes the other way. And Harry's like really unnerved for a while about the lack of obstacles that he's encountering. He's just like, this is too easy. Something is wrong. He runs into Cedric, who clearly has encountered an obstacle because like his sleeve is on fire. (laughs) He's like, bro, there's scroots in here. (laughs) Oh, shit. They're huge. (laughs) And then they separate again. And, you know, I guess finally there's some action for Harry and he sees a Dementor cast a Patronus and the Dementor stumbles and it's like a dead giveaway to him. He's like, this isn't a real Dementor. This is a boggart. It's a boggart. Call back to Professor Lupin's class. Yes. 
he casts Ridiculous at the bogger. It goes away. His next obstacle is something that has absolutely no right to sound so damn pretty, which is this golden mist. Oh. Right? Doesn't it sound nice? I'm doing oh, like floaty things with my hands. So inviting. It's like oh. going to one of those salt caves or something. Stop. It's a golden so good. mist. Except as soon as you walk into it, you're Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> you're totally upside down. No fun at all. This sounds terrible. The world is like upside down. Yes. And it's not like a perspective shift because his glasses are literally trying to fall off of his head. Yeah. Gravity has switched. Exactly. So understandably he has this feeling that if he lifts his foot, he's going to fall into nothingness. Yeah. And this is the moment where he's like, do I send up sparks or do I just try and walk? And he ultimately decides to try and walk, which is a good call. Cause as soon as he takes one step, it writes itself. And he hears Fleur <gasps> scream yes. somewhere in the maze. Oh, God, how terrifying to hear. But like you can't see. I hate this. This I, is like ugh. when you're in a haunted house ugh. and you can hear screams ahead of you and you're like, oh, God, what is this going to be? Listeners, I hate haunted houses. Listeners, I love haunted houses. <laughs> they, I hate them so much. It makes me angry. It makes me angry at everyone who loves them. It makes me angry at the people who make them. Yes. I'm so mad that they exist. How about the one I took you to at Tweetsie Railroad? Are you effing kidding me? In Blowing me? Rock, North Carolina. And I went through it by myself because you don't like haunted houses. Right. And then I said... It's so cool. It's not even really that scary. You should go through it. And you were not happy that you He's, went through it. It, it. it was really scary. And I'll tell you why. Haunted houses are worse for me because they know I'm afraid. And so they pick on me. Yeah. They can see your reaction. Yes. And so all of the actors or whatever you call them, I'm like so mad at them. Scare actors. I'm sorry. Scare actors. I would like have a tone because I'm just like not okay with these people. They always pick on me. They always jump out and scare me. If they grab somebody, they grab me. So I'm sorry. Haunted houses are exponentially worse for me. So I hate them. I love them. I know you do, you weirdo. <laughs> My God. So Harry actually encounters a scroot. He does. Just like Cedric warned him about. How, how long was this thing? Did you say it was 20 feet long? I don't know. Am I remembering that correctly? I imagined it being like... It looks like a scorpion at this yeah. point. Yeah. I imagine it to be about the size of a horse, maybe. Oh, that's horrifying. And it's aggressive. I mean, it is after him. And like a scorpion, it's got, I guess, an exoskeleton. Yeah. So his spells are just bouncing off of it, which is something that I think to Harry and I can remember to me when I was reading this for the first time had not occurred to me that spell work is still kind of like a, a kinetic thing. And if you have an exoskeleton, it's not going to work. But he finds the underbelly of the scrut and he casts impedimenta and it's just kind of frozen. So it's damn and good thing you learned that. unlike scorpions, scrutes have a powerful fart. They do. They have fire farts. Yeah. Not to be confused with fire festival. Right. Not to be confused with fart festival. <laughs> They call it the Trump rally. <laughs> Boom! Done. I love it. 
after the blast ended Scroot, we have the second terrifying moment. We heard Fleur scream earlier. Now, Harry hears Cedric going, what are you doing? You know, basically. Harry sort of like breaks through the labyrinth wall. He doesn't yeah, he try just to bust through, it. through the bushes. Through it. Yeah, because if there's someone to save, Harry Potter's going to make it happen. Yeah. He is, he's a savior kind of guy. And it's Crumb. And Crumb casts Crucio on Cedric. He's torturing Cedric. He is torturing him. Now, mm-hmm. Haven't I told you this whole time? Crumb's a piece of shit. It's bad. And Harry enters the scene and he has his wand on Crumb. And Crumb sees him and turns and runs away. Now, Harry hits him in the back with Stupefy. Ouch. And just lays him out. You yeah. know, he's he's out cold. But my question to you is, why do you think Crumb wouldn't attack Harry in that moment? I'll tell you why in the prophecy. <gasps> oh, shit. Okay. Damn. Okay. So with Crumb out and with Cedric, you know, no longer being tortured. Fleur possibly dead for all we know. We have no idea. You know, Harry and Cedric kind of speculate. I wonder if that's why Fleur was screaming because Cedric had heard that too if Crumb had got to her also so we don't know you know we don't know they know that no red sparks were cast but Harry's had the thought like maybe she can't reach her wand you know not if he just rolled up on her and hit her with the crucio exactly so we don't know we don't know what happened to Fleur at this point but Harry and Cedric decide you know this guy is going to get Eaten, straight up eaten by the blast ended Scrooge. I mean, Cedric's like, he would deserve it, but okay. They send up red sparks so someone will come in and get crumb. And one thing that I forgot to mention when Fleur was screaming, there's a really interesting moment where Harry is like, oh shit, I need to find her. I need to save her. But he also acknowledges that there's a voice in his head that's saying, one champion down. That's an interesting moment, I think. Yeah. Just about like human nature, right? And he can't, the reason why this comes into my head now is that he kind of can't help but think now, two down. It's down to me and Cedric. Yeah. And that's it. They split up again. And the next thing that Harry encounters is the Sphinx. Yes. So cool. So JK takes another legendary creature and puts him in the wizarding world. Yes. Now, in like mythology or whatever, is the Sphinx, is the Sphinx always associated with like riddling? I don't know that I don't that's either. a thing. But I love this. Now, I'm horrible at riddles. Like, I would have... The, when she gave the instructions, I would have just been like, peace, I'm going to find another way. Yeah. I'm not going to get this. Like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to get this. It's pretty clever. It is. So he sits down on his hind legs in the middle of the path and recites this riddle. I want to hear your best <gasps> Sphinx voice Ooh. saying this riddle. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. All right. So. First, think of the person who lives in disguise, (laughs) who deals in secrets and tells naught but lies. Next, tell me what's always the last thing to mend, the middle of the middle and end of the end. And finally, give me the sound often heard during the search for a hard-to-find word. Now string them together and answer me this. Which creature would you be unwilling to kiss? 
So when I have my Harry Potter themed black metal band, sure, this is going to be one of the songs. <laughs> this is the lyrics. I love it. You also need the Murr song, the Murr people song from the Golden Egg. Yeah, it's going to have to be another one. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so I mean, I would have failed. Like as Harry is sussing it out. It, Riddles always make sense to me when they're explained to me. Yeah, but I didn't get it until no. it was explained. So Please. the person who lives in disguise is a spy. Mm-hmm. The middle of middle and the end of N is D. Right. The letter D. During the search for a hard to find word. Er, right. I think in the States it's more um. Yeah. Uh, er, um. Now string them together and answer me this. Which creature would you be unwilling to kiss? It's spy er. Exactly. It's spider. And I have in my notes, shout out to my man, Gerald. <gasps> Gerald, the spider who eats rats. Underneath Ben's house. It's all coming full circle. I think he eats a lot of things. Birds. I think one day he's going to eat that possum. He might. Also, Gerald may be the spider from the maze. that. They have you ever thought about this? What? Ben might be Gerald. <gasps> Maybe Ben and Gerald. Gerald could be Ben's animagus form. Ben. You can confirm this to us privately. We will not share your secret. If you're a wizarding person and your animagus is Gerald, just let us know. If not, that's okay, too. That's okay. We'll take your silence as confirmation that it's true. Yeah. (laughs) I think the way I'm going to display Ben in our giant religious painting is him riding Gerald, but Gerald has a saddle on. Okay. And Ben kind of has like... A Wild West cowboy kind of <gasps> outfit on, yes, like I one of those it. bandanas around his neck. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I love and the beard; it's majestic, and 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 somehow we've got to represent that Ben and Gerald are in fact one. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. This now is this is a new ice cream, Ben and Gerald. <laughs> Because this is what you tend to do. Like, whenever there's, I'm trying to think of, um, like, Tom Hanks. One of the things you like to do that always cracks me up is call them by, Thomas like, Hanks their legal like name, Thomas Hanks. Yeah, or I'll refer to Michael J. Fox as Mike Fox. <laughs> right. And it sounds so wrong. And Ben and Gerald sounds like a joke you have probably made at some yeah. point about Ben and Jerry. Ben and Gerald's ice cream. Ben and Gerald's ice cream. Ben, this is your future. This is your destiny. Oh my God, it's full of rats. I don't know. It's hot as hell in Australia. Ice cream is probably very popular. Is it hot right now in Australia? Isn't it hot all the time in Australia? I don't know. We've never been to Australia and we're bad at geography. We're going. <laughs> we're going. Yeah, that's a long flight. Get the guest room ready, Ben. Yes, we're coming. We're going to bring you a shit ton of Sixers merchandise. We're going to get on a plane right now and we'll see you in like nine days because that's how long it takes to get to Australia. Harry makes it past the Sphinx because he solves the riddle and he's essentially there. I mean, like he makes a couple of little turns, but he sees the Triwizard Cup and he has this one moment where he's like, oh my God, like I'm about to win this thing. But then he sees Cedric and Cedric is further along that path and he's running towards the cup. Yeah. But there is a giant spider making its way directly towards Cedric and Cedric doesn't know. Now, I'm assuming this is an Acromantula, which is the same creature as Aragog. 
So you remember like how yeah. big Aragog was? Like this is a big ass. Spider. I also think this is probably one of Aragog's kids. That's what I'm guessing. Because I think Harry went and talked to them the way Dumbledore talked to the head of the mermaids and was like, "Hey, we're doing this. Is thing. one of your kids available to try to eat Harry Potter next Saturday?" <laughs> and Aragog was like, "I don't know. I'm ninety-seven years old. <laughs> Get off of my lawn." <laughs> Oh my god, yes. I think you're probably right. So old, I can't even get a web up anymore. <laughs> uh, is that like a spider erection joke? That's yes. weird. <laughs> That's really weird. So Harry tries the stupefy spell on the spider. Right. Nada. Nothing. It's Cedric tries the stupefy spell. Nada. Nothing. Harry does Expelliarmus. It doesn't work. And then they both do stupefy yes. together. And the combined powers make it work. Well, Expelliarmus works a little bit, only because at this point, Harry's being held in the spider's pinchers. And when he yells Expelliarmus, it does drop him. So it works to an extent, but it basically only works in that Harry Potter doesn't get eaten by a spider. And essentially sprains his leg really bad really bad it's not only bleeding but like there's there seems to be some like bone and tendon yeah. shit going he can't on put any weight on it. it's not good it's not good and yeah the combined forces of the two of them doing stupefy and they're kind of aiming for the underbelly like he did with the screw done donezo that spider is i don't know if it's dead but it is definitely out of and the now running. it's just a matter of yeah. Who touches the cup first. Exactly. And Harry knows he ain't going to win no foot race. But Cedric, Cedric's a Hufflepuff. Cedric mm, believes he shines in, in this moment. fair play, right? He's like, hey, man, you know what? If you wouldn't have saved me, you would have got the cup anyway. Exactly. You helped me out with the whole dragon deal yep. in the first task. You've looked yep. out for me this whole time. You deserve it. I'd rather you just have it. Absolutely. And then they get into this thing like, do you remember the cartoon of those two chipmunks? It wasn't Chip and Dale proper, but it was like these two squirrels or something that were like, after you. No, after you. I'd like you to have it. No, you can have it. I don't know what they're like you mean. They're like overly nice to each other. Ooh, this is what they're doing. This they're like, exactly no, no. I'm not going to take the last piece of cake. No, go ahead. Take the last piece of cake. No, I couldn't take the last. No, you should have the last piece of cake. Right, right. It's like. It's very British, I think. It's too, very British. Because they're both being polite. Oh, yeah, because American Harry Potter would have been like, peace. Fuck you. Give me the cake. Exactly. It's mine. It's I deserve mine. it. I did it. I saved yeah. you from the snake. And I American would it. have said, it's my right it's to my have cake. right. The government can't tell me to wear a mask and not eat cake. Oh, my God. I hate this country so much right now. I'm not going to lie. I really do. So I love the compromise that they come up with. Yes. And this is Harry's idea, yes. right? He's like, let's just touch it at the same time. Absolutely. We'll tie. We're tied now anyway. This will probably just tie us for the tournament exactly. and we'll come both walking out. We'll both get the glory. It's a Hogwarts And he victory. says it's a win for Hogwarts. Yes. It's a win for the school and that's all that matters. Absolutely. Because that's is. important to remember that there are three schools being represented before. Yes participants exactly i do i love this idea i think this is a great compromise and also like you know they know after the second task even if for some reason like the cup is only registered 
to recognize one hand. And so Cedric's hand touched it a quarter of a millisecond first. He knows that the judges are willing to be flexible with yeah. things, right? And so, like, I think he knows this is probably going to work. So they grab it, but surprise, the cup is a port key. And they can feel themselves that weird sinking, swirly sensation of like, yes. oh, shit, where are we going? And now we know why port key travel was introduced at the beginning of this book. No mistakes. No in mistakes. This series. None at all. Because no it, unimportant information. No, we needed to be familiar with that feeling, that hook behind the navel feeling. Yeah. It's so specific because J.K. Rowling does not want to write the end of this chapter like, and then they both reached for the cup at the same time and both felt a sense of dread when they realized it was a port key. That's not the way she writes. She's going to write it as this is what they felt. And remember, readers, we were introduced to the concept of a port key with the Quidditch World Cup, and this is what that yeah. felt like. You know what I think it feels like? There is a roller coaster called Verbolten. Mm-hmm. That is themed around the Black Forest in Germany. Ooh. And it's at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. And in the middle of the ride, the roller coaster stops inside of this dark show building. And you see this like animated stuff like bats or something. And then it just drops. There's a drop track. So all of a sudden, the entire roller coaster train that you're on with 26 other people or whatever just drops about 10 feet. Nope. And if you don't know that that's coming, nope. It's like nothing else you've ever experienced. I don't and that's what I think it feels like. Like, oh shit. Nope. I don't want any part of that. That sounds like my nightmare. No, thank you. No, thank you. So, HP and CD. Take a trip on the Port Key Express. And it's not a welcome trip. They end up in a graveyard. Yeah. And there's a house on the hill. Yes. You know what house this might be. Mm-hmm. The old Frank Bryce wrestling ring. It's very possible. The high back chair Voldemort hangout spot. Because remember, that was the Riddle House. I think we should call it Voldemort's Tree Fort. Voldemort's Tree Fort. Yeah, he's gone back to the house that he grew up in. And has reclaimed it as his evil empire. Oh, God. So at the beginning of this chapter, Cedric and Harry aren't sure, like, if this is part of it. Like, maybe this is part of the task, right? Reasonable. Reasonable assumption that they have to face, like, one final foe. Like, in video games, you have, like, the big boss, right? Maybe that's what they have to do. This is the final task, you know? Yeah, Bowser's going to show up. Right, exactly. And he's got Princess Peach. So they just on the safe side get their wands out and very quickly in this chapter shit goes totally south because they they're being approached by a figure. They can't see who this figure is. They can kind of make out that the figure's holding something. Harry's not sure if it's a baby or just a bundle of cloth. He doesn't yeah. know, but suddenly Harry's scar just explodes searing pain he feels like his head is surely about to split open blinding pain to the point where he's retching and he hears the words kill the spare kill the spare avra cadavra avada cadavra what avada cadavra 
in Agata DeVita, no, baby. No, no, Iron Butterfly comes out of the grave. No, 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 no. Harry hears something large fall beside him. Cedric's dead. Totally dead. And I want to talk about this moment for a minute. Because kill the spare is such, I mean, it's an iconic line in this series because of how cold and evil it is. He doesn't say kill the other kid. He doesn't say kill the other boy. He completely dehumanizes this human being who we've gotten to know as readers over this book is kind and fair and beloved but he's just the spare he's the one they didn't intend to come to the graveyard because it was only supposed to be harry touching to be harry. the goblet once exactly. again another thing that will come up in my prophecy yeah yeah so it's there you go it, it was only supposed to be harry so cedric's the spare and i think it's i've always found this moment especially unsettling people often ask me why i went into substance use treatment psychology specifically and it took me a while to kind of come up with some kind of answer to that but my answer has always my answer sort of became it became clear to me that my answer was that i have so much compassion for the spares of the world right the ones that are not viewed as being as good as other people because of whatever reason. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back to say that. Trust me, I have plenty of flaws and things that I am not compassionate enough about, I'm sure. But that's one thing that really resonates with me. And so when I think about substance users and when I think about people with mental health disorders, when I even think about people who are stigmatized because of other factors. Or just the marginalized Just marginalized society. people. This week especially, I think about people of color are viewed as spare by so many. and By people with more power. Exactly. And it's horrifying. I think that our minimum wage workers are being looked at as spares during this coronavirus. Absolutely. It's get your ass back to work. Right. Low-income people so right. I can have my fucking Applebee's. Exactly. Trevor Noah posted a 15-minute video that I watched last night that was so, so, so good about this exact kind of topic. And I will put it, if you haven't seen it, I promise you I will put it in our show notes. If you've never gone to look at our show notes before, if you want to see this video, the show notes will post Tuesday morning, just a couple of hours after the episode goes live at thefoxandthefoxhound.com. Just click on show notes and you'll see it there and I'll, I'll have it in there. It's fantastic. You need to give yourself about 15 minutes. You need to truly sit and listen to what he's saying. It's beautiful. But it's about this. People with more power love to tell people with less power that they're doing it wrong. You know, yeah. looting, you're doing that wrong. You're not protesting this correctly. And it's just, I won't, I won't do enough, nearly enough justice to his words if I try to sum up the points he's making. It's beautiful. So I'll post that in the show notes, but it's great. Anyway, you know, I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but this is such an important moment to my fandom of this series, even though it's a really brutal moment and it breaks my heart every time I get to it. It's a really important moment for why I love this series. 
and she writes this so beautifully in such a simple way. Cedric was lying spread-eagled on the ground beside him. He was dead. For a second that contained an eternity, Harry stared into Cedric's face at his open gray eyes, blank and expressionless as the windows of a deserted house, at his half-open mouth, which looked slightly surprised. Yeah. Just the description of a dead body. Yeah. And the fact that she says blank and expressionless as the windows of a deserted house, which is the symbol on the hill as we speak. Yeah. His expression has become as vacuous as the empty shell of a home, which I think the home represents the empty shell of this kid, Tom Riddle himself. Did not know that was about to happen. That clap of thunder. So I just said Tom Riddle himself, and we had a huge clap of thunder. I don't know if you guys can hear. (laughs) Oh, my God. That was weird. Kind of freaking out a little bit right now. Ooh, I'm sweating. Okay. No, it's... That's beautiful writing. It's beautiful. And I think kind of like Harry's Rambo moment, I think that it also, all of it is tied together. The spare, the coldness of that line, the empty... His empty eyes, Cedric's empty eyes because he's dead. The emptiness of that house, a house where murder was committed in that house, right? At least as far as we know, all of it comes back to this one guy, this one guy. So this figure that's holding the bundle, yeah. which we're so hoping is the child from the Mandalorian, but we know it's not Unfortunately, going to be. Unfortunately, it's not. He's like, give me chicky tendies. <laughs> I wish. He ties Harry to a gravestone yeah. that says Tom Riddle. Yep. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So Tom Riddle has a grave? Mm-hmm. Is Tom Riddle, has his body been buried? When Tom went off and became corrupt and became Lord Voldemort, yeah. did he leave his body behind? Well... There's something in this ritual that might answer that question for you. But besides that, I'm going to plead the fifth. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And we see who it is, the figure. (sighs) Missing a finger. Peter effing pet-a-worm-tail grew. This guy. This effing guy. Hate this. You talk about a rat bastard. What a rat bastard. a rat bastard. I hate this guy. He's tying Harry up so tightly. Harry literally can't even turn his head. Like he and the descriptions of things entering and exiting Harry's view during this time. He sees Nagini. Nagini's there circling the gravestone. You know, no big deal. And this huge cauldron gets pulled out. Mm -hmm. So there's some sort of thing that's going to go on here. This ritual. Yeah. And he finally sees what the bundle is. And it's this little shriveled up alien baby looking thing. We have to read this description. It was as though Wormtail had flipped over a stone and revealed something ugly, slimy, and blind. But worse, a hundred times worse. The thing Wormtail had been carrying had the shape of a crouched human child, except that Harry had never seen anything less like a child. It was hairless and scaly looking a dark, raw, reddish black. Its arms and legs were thin and feeble, and its face, no child alive ever had a face like that. 
was flat and snake-like with gleaming red eyes. I love a dark, raw, reddish black. I can just see it. I can see it. If they mess this up in the movie, I'm going to be so pissed. I feel like this is the creature who, I feel like I can hear the sound it makes. Do you want to hear it? Yes. (laughs) It makes that kind of sound in my head. Is that weird? (laughs) I'm going to give you the sound I think it makes. Okay. Okay, so variations on a theme, really. (laughs) Good Lord. Disturbing, right? Crazy disturbing. And Wormtail drops this thing into the cauldron. Yes. And it, you can hear the body hit the bottom of the yes. cauldron. And he says, bone of the father, yeah. unknowingly given, you will renew your son. So this is the part that should point you to your question about the gravestone. Because where that comes from is the grave that Harry is tied to the stone for. Yes. And this little wisp comes out. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the spirit of Tom Riddle rejoining. Right. It depends on how you're interpreting father. So what I will say is that you, I am 99% positive, will have that question completely answered in the next chapter. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Then it's flesh of the servant, willingly given, you will revive your master. And Wormtail cuts off his own hand. Yeah. Which, wow. Harry can't really, he doesn't see that this is what happens because he realizes what's about to happen. And he's like me and like any movie where someone's about to get shot. He closes his eyes. And so, but he hears it, which I think is worse somehow because he like hears the thud of it. Of it hitting the ground the same way he heard Cedric hit the ground. Oh. And Wormtail says, blood of the enemy forcibly taken, you will resurrect your foe. And he cuts Harry's arm open. Yeah. Like in the crook of his arm, which just makes me like want to die. Which is where they take blood out of you. So I guess he's trying to hit that artery so he can get some good blood. Yeah. It's poor Harry. Like, remember, he's got a busted leg at this point, too. Like, also, couldn't you just take some of that blood? But, I mean, you know, Wormtail's not about compassion. He pulls out a glass vial and collects it. Yeah. This is like a potion that's being made. And it turns this blinding white. And Harry has this really powerful inner monologue of just, like, please let it have drowned let something have gone wrong and and i feel like you get the impression that harry somewhere in his head he knows what this is and he knows what's about to happen because there's no harry wondered what was going to happen next harry's thoughts are please let this not be successful because i'm pretty sure i know what a successful ritual is going to mean And what it means is that this figure rises up out of the cauldron and says, robe me. Yeah. And Wormtail with his mutilated arm 
picks up the robes and puts the robe on the king. Yeah. Lord Voldemort. And he's back. He's back. The ritual is complete. Yep. It's like that moment in one of the American horror stories when it's the girl and she's like, surprise, bitch. Bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. I wanted so bad right here. Well, I want so bad right here in the movie when Lord Voldemort rises up out of the cauldron for the ACDC song, I'm on a highway to hell, start playing. I feel that that might diminish the power of the moment in general. ACDC doesn't diminish any moment. Have you seen Maximum Overdrive? Uh, I have. I absolutely hate that movie. So, well, for the first time since the beginning of this book, it's time for us to memorialize someone. I'm going to try to, like, hold it together. Cedric Diggory. Hufflepuff, handsome, went to the ball with Cho. Here lies Cedric Diggory, once in our hearts, now always a memory. Oh, why would you do that? See you on the other side, Cedric. God, it really is tragic. It's a tragic loss. I can't believe Cedric had to go over the rainbow bridge. I really... I wish you would stop making light of this character death. Like, this is a really emotional death for me. And you keep making jokes about it. And it's how I cope. It's how I have to cope. (sighs) Oh, my God. You had speculated at the beginning of this book, like, why I might have the need to add an in-memorial button. And I knew this was coming. But I also knew that for the remainder of this series, this button in our podcasting station with the memorial music is just going to need to stay put. Wow. Yeah. It's just going to need to stay there. We're going to bloodbath this thing is going to turn into. Fucking bloodbath. Yes. <sighs> well, you've teased your prophecy so much at this point. I'm dying to know what it is. So, Victor Crumb, crooked bastard that I knew he was this entire time. Sure. I'm just here for cookies. (laughs) No, you're not. He was taking Cedric out and taking Fleur out and not going to get the cup himself. Not because he wanted to get the cup, but because he had been told to do this by his dad and the rest of the Death Eaters. Who's his dad? Crumb's dad? Yeah. Or not his dad. His <laughs> mentor. I was going to say, wait a second. You do know that Karkaroff is not Crumb's right. father, his mentor, right? Krakamov. <laughs> Karkaroff. Yes. So Victor is taking them out so that Harry will reach the fucking cup. Okay. So number one, the reason that he runs from Harry mm-hmm. is because he wants Harry to finish the maze and hit the cup. Okay. Two... He runs from him because he's been caught. I mean. But here's my prophecy. Ooh. Not just that Victor Crumb obviously was trying to take them out so Harry would hit the cup. Yeah. He knew where Cedric and Fleur were 
because Malfoy is in the stands with his Dick Tracy watch <gasps> communicating where they are. You think Malfoy's involved in all this? I think Malfoy's involved. Look, the two Death Eater dads put their sons up to doing their dirty work. So Malfoy's in the stands. He can see into the maze from the highest seats that he's in. Probably the box seats. And then he goes into his Dick Tracy watch and is like, Sam, catch him. Sam, catch him. Come in. Come in. I see Harry's rounding the third bend. I also like you, you again refer to Karkaroff as Crumb's dad. <laughs> like, I need to, I need to clarify. Be the closest <laughs> thing to father I will ever have. <laughs> Karkaroff and Crumb, not related. <laughs> you need to know this. Yeah. On account of they have the different last names also. There's also that. Well, that is, that's a a provocative prophecy. I can't wait for the prophecy roundup for this book, which I mean, we're, we're close to the end of this book. It won't be that long because I can tell you right now, there have been some prophecies in this book that you have absolutely totally missed and had completely wrong yeah and some that you've gotten really close to the truth so it's just it's so peter talked about that in our zoom chat yes exactly and he's he is correct because i I just i can't wait for that episode i think it's going to be really really fun what's our um third task triwizard tournament in memoriam hedwig's digital get down hoot well that's the theme from the godfather but okay it's beautiful score beautiful score and melancholy and appropriate yes our hedwig's digital get down this week comes from our sweet sweet caroline sweet caroline what are you like (laughs) i love it and she sent us in as she's so great at doing an audio message so that you guys don't have to hear our voices. You can hear her wonderful accent. You can hear her incredible accent. Okay, let's hear it now. Hey, Kevin Amanda. So I've got some questions about house elves. been really interested listening to you read through the books about what your opinions have been on the different house elves that we've met um, so far. And I've kind of met a little bit more about them on Harry, Ron and Hermione's latest escapade down to the kitchens. I wondered what you thought. Um, so my first question is, what do you think is the more likely reaction to um, being freed of like an average house elf? Would they react like Dobby, where they're pleased, overjoyed, happy to be free? Um, or like Winky, where it's like a sense of loss, depression, missing the family and like the shame that comes with being freed? Um, my second question is about Hermione's activism. Do you think that she's going about this in the right way? Um, do you think she should be focusing on changing wizard behaviour or changing house elf behaviour? Um, and my third question is, why do you think this relationship exists in the first place? Do you think that it's a situation where one party is taking um advantage of the other so for example like the wizards are taking advantage of the house elves um and it's a power imbalance or do you think it's more of a 
um, symbiotic relationship where actually they both benefit that the house elves like looking after humans, they like being there for the wizards, they like doing that job and then like it's a mutually beneficial relationship? Um, or do you think it's maybe somewhere in between? Um, clearly the house elves can build really strong relationships with wizarding families. You can see that with Winky and Barty Crouch. And even with Dobby, like the relationship that he's got with Harry, like clearly they build strong attachments to the wizards that they're living with or like serving. So is it as simple as master servant or is there more going on there? Just curious about what you think. Bonus question uh, is, why do you think that they need to have a caretaker if they have house elves at Hogwarts? Because surely the house elves can just do all the jobs that Argus Filch does. Why is he there? What is his purpose? Loving the podcast, as always. Can't wait to hear what you think. Bye. As always, fantastic questions. Sweet Caroline. So we've talked a lot about the house elves, and I have always said there's more information. I don't have enough information to clearly make a stance on their freedom. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're under some sort of hundreds of years old imperious curse. Right. Or if I'm just thinking about the relationship wrong. So her first question is, how do we think house elves reactions would typically be mm -hmm. upon receiving their freedom? Yeah. Would they be happy like Dobby or would they be devastated like Winky? I think they would be devastated like Winky. I agree. Because they do not seem to be very favorable towards Dobby, new freedom loving Dobby, America right. Dobby. Right. <laughs> and they seem to have more compassion Towards Winktown. Winktown? Yeah, that's my nickname for him. Oh, my. So I really think that most of them don't want to be freed. Right. But I don't quite understand why yet because I don't know enough about the history of why they are house elves. Right. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think based on the info we have up until this point and based on just sheer statistics, the more represented viewpoint seems to be one that is not in line with Dobby, which tells yeah. me that Dobby's reaction is probably the unusual one. Yeah. So her second question is, what do we think about Hermione's tactics? Right. Is she going about it the wrong way? I think that she needs to get more information first. I think she yeah. needs to go to Dumbledore and say, hey, Dumbledore, I don't understand why we have house elves. Right. I don't understand enough about their history. How did they come to be? So her reaction is, it's a little immature. Yeah. In that sense. That. Now, I'm all about the revolution. Like, I love the fact that she's wanting to free the house elves. But she also needs to get all of the facts straight first. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm... <sighs> it's hard for you to answer because you have the information. It is. But that's not even why it's hard for me to answer. It's hard for me to answer because this is, as a part of this series, something that I'm consistently really torn about. Because I like Caroline's point of is a better approach maybe for her to try and change the wizard's behavior, for her to try and kind of make that systematic change. And I think that all things being equal, 
that's the much more long-term solution, right? Yeah. Because that would solve the problems of house elves that don't even exist yet. But from a pragmatic standpoint, <laughs> to me, the chances that Hermione's going to be able to do that, just based on what we know about the wizard's attitudes towards house elves, are really slim. So do you go for the one that is the, definitely the better option in terms of all things being equal, this is going to work better? Or do you go for the one that seems a lot more possible? You know, mm. do you go to the polls and vote? Or do you burn this shit to the ground? I mean, I think that that's, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Do you is. go to the mattresses? Do you go to the mattresses? Do you make him an offer he can't refuse? <laughs> right, exactly. But it's a great question. And that has to do with the relationship of house elves to the wizarding humans yes. at large, which is her third question. Why does the house elf wizarding relationship even exist? Mm. Is it because of a power balance? Basically, she's asking the question that I've been asking myself is, are house elves oppressed creatures or is this just like what they do? I just don't see JK with as much symbolism as there is with oppression and that sort of thing in this series. I don't think our answer is going to be, oh, well, they like it. You know, oh, they're happy being someone's slave. Right. That's way too dismissive to me. Right. So. But that's the way most wizards that we've encountered up until this point, like Ron, feel that's them. how they view it. I know. Is that this is how that they're happy like this. <sighs> it's so tough. This was the mythology that supported slavery Absolutely. in this country for 400 years. Absolutely. They're happy. Hear them singing in the fields. Right. Oh, they love to work. Right. It's bullshit. Right. And can you truly say that someone. And I think I've said this before. Can you truly say that someone is happy with the lot they're given when it's literally the only lot they've ever had access to? And it's weird, too, because these are fictional creatures. Yeah. They don't represent a marginalized human group of, of people. Course so not. it's kind of hard to, like, well, it is, really say. For sure. And, and I mean, I, I would like to think that we're all on the same page about that, right? But I think sometimes the most powerful agent of change in conversation is to represent an idea in this sort of peripheral, oh, it's a fictional character. It makes it a little safer to approach for a lot of people who are maybe not quite comfortable approaching the real issue head on. Yeah. You know, it, it makes it a, a little bit safer. It's not yeah. as powerful as just calling a thing what it is, but it does provide more access to that conversation for other people this is the conversation that i had with our friend jackie last night mm. about how she was talking about how someone in her life is a huge harry potter fan but literally doesn't see any of the symbolism and metaphors for our world they just take it as like this fantasy story oh and she said that's why it's written so well it is just this beautiful fantasy story. If you don't pick up on the metaphors of our real world, I think you're missing the whole fucking point, honestly. Yeah, yeah to me. But yeah. it is possible. Sure. It is so good that it's possible to still enjoy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm, you're not getting it. I'm, I'm not sure that we answered her third question, but that's it's such a complicated issue. And then what was the fourth question? The bonus was... 
why have a caretaker at all? She's referring to Filch. If the house elves can do these jobs. Mm -hmm. So as far as we know so far, house elves do laundry and cook. And I don't know a whole lot else of what they're able to do. That's all we've seen them really do. So Filch as a caretaker... We know he walks the halls and gets pissed off at Ghost. (laughs) But I don't know if he's like the chief engineer. I don't know if he's a maintenance guy. Right. Does he fix things that are leaking? Like, does he work on the pipes? That sort of thing? We don't really know. Yeah. So to answer her question, I would say, one, I'm not sure that house elves are skilled enough to be caretakers. Okay. Number two, I think Filch serves a much larger purpose in this story that we haven't seen yet okay because there are no throwaway characters right and all we've gotten from filch is the cat being petrified Mm -hmm. by looking in the water and seeing the reflection of the basilisk Mm -hmm. and him discovering the writing on the wall but there hasn't been a lot of filch true stuff so i think filch has to be there for the purpose of the story. Mm-hmm. I think he's there for a larger purpose than we think. And just based on what you just said, I'm going to refrain from providing any kind of answer because okay. I don't want to confirm that or not confirm that. Yeah. Thank you, Caroline. What great questions. And, you know, the house self thing is always going to be a good discussion. Yeah. My God. It comes up a lot. It does. I also had no idea that house elves were going to be a part of this story. Yeah. I knew who Bob, Bobby. <laughs> Oh, Bobby. God, I should have turned a dad joke. I should have used Dobby McGee. Oh, my God. Dumbledore flagged Mentor down. Oh, Jesus. That's good. You need to do that. While Malfoy sang the blues. Oh, it's good. Yes. Mail delivering owls flapping time as I held Hermione's hand in mine. I think you were going to make a point about Dobby before that happened. So I knew about Dobby just from going to Wizarding World and stuff. I didn't really know what his like purpose was or that he was this big character. But that's all I knew. I honestly did not know that there were other house elves and Winky and all this stuff. You ever seen any Winky merch? Right. You ever seen a Winky shirt? A Winky pin? Right. Winky cup? Well, she's not nearly as jaunty. Winky flakes? The cereal? Winky flakes. Well, that makes me think of like skin cells or something. Well, I'm up first with marriage lessons, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have a marriage lesson that is specific to these two chapters. I have a marriage lesson that is specific to this week. <laughs> okay. Um, I bet if you give it, I can relate it back to these chapters. How I bet you that? you can. Yes. Okay. I'm, that's your challenge. My marriage lesson for this week is to remind each other in whatever way you can, that there is good in the world. Because honestly, I've had a week of really feeling very disconnected from my usual belief that the world is good and that people are generally good and that things will always be okay. That's what I really base a lot of my perspective and my whole life on. And I have felt very detached from that this week as if the world is going to absolute shit yes and there's no turning back yes and as someone who is traditionally very good at being able to kind of self-monitor and 
you know, use self-talk to really get myself right again, I can't find, I can't access it right now. You know, like yeah. I just can't find it. I, you know, so I have to look to others to do that for me. Who better than my life partner? The most cynical bastard you've ever met. <laughs> no, but just the fact that I found someone that I not only was willing to share my life with, but enthusiastically wanted to share my life with, is that not in and of itself proof that there is good in the world, right? The fact that you make me laugh so much, things like that are proof that there's good in the world. And here is the sad truth is that there's never not going to be darkness in the world. Yeah. And everyone's not going to be quote unquote good. But it's about finding the good in yourself. Yeah. The good in yourself is the good in the world. That's what you put out into the world. I can't stop Lord Voldemort's rise right now any more than I can stop COVID-19 from infecting 100,000 people globally, killing 100,000 people globally so far and infecting millions at this point. But what I can change is how I treat the people in my life yeah. and what I put out into the world, what I choose to put out in the world through social media, how I choose to interact with people who don't believe the same way as me, how I choose to think about other people. If there was ever a more challenging time to be compassionate, I don't know when it has been. Right. But we have to. We yeah. have to fight the most difficult war that you can fight in this world. And that is to see all people, even the worst people, as human beings. Yeah. And not letting them turn you into a Death Eater. Right. We can oppose the Death Eaters. Yeah. Without becoming Death Eaters. We can't go Barty Crouch on it. If so we let ourselves get too Barty Crouch then we've become what we hate. For the very first time, you have like performed the marriage lesson during the show. Like you just did the thing that is my marriage lesson, which is to remind each other that they're still good in the world. And then meta. So meta. Okay. So now relate that back to these chapters. Oh, great. Put me on the spot. <laughs> hey, you, you volunteered for this, sir. Is this being recorded? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact. In a way, what Sirius is saying to Harry, look, focus on the task at hand. You need to think about the third task. Don't think about all this larger stuff. And it's hard right now to not think about the world at large. Yeah. It's difficult to not think about it all day long. Yeah. But it is important to think about the small things in your life. It's like something that I've been telling you for a few months that I had a conversation last August with my buddy Lewis, who's a pastor in Texas. And this is when we went to LeakyCon. And we were talking about, remember to look at the small picture. It's good to look at the big picture, but sometimes you have to look at the small picture. You have to focus on cleaning your bathroom, buying your best friend a milkshake, yeah. watching a movie on TV. You have to focus on 
why it matters to be alive to begin with, if you were to think about things that make our lives worse, you need to think about what makes them good. Okay. Nicely done. Nicely done. What's your marriage lesson? So my marriage lesson comes from our boy Cedric and Harry, how they decide to win as a team and tie. And that's the thing in a marriage is that it's not a competition and it is a group thing. Yeah. It's about winning together. It's about us tying. And how that relates as a marriage lesson is I think we should always remember that the maze of life that we're in, we're in it together. And that's another thing that I would like for you to remember when you get super down and you feel like there's no good left in the world is that you're no longer fighting this battle by yourself. You're fighting it with someone, which is your husband. You mean you? Me. (laughs) But you also have your friends and your family and all those people. That is the good in the world. And so my marriage lesson is if there's ever a cup to grab, let's grab it together. I love that. And hopefully it's not a port key that leads us to, you know, death and mutilation. Yes. I love it. For our Marauder shout outs. I just want to know what each of our marauders would do differently than Harry in the third task. It can be from any of these things, right? What would they do differently than Harry? So let's start. In the maze. In the maze. Yes. In the third task in the maze. Let's start with Dean Heath. So Dean would have done what Harry did, where he kicks through the bush to get to the other side, except Dean would have just used his wand to see where the cup is and then would have just straight Carolina Panthers defensive line bust through all the bushes and just grab the cup. I love that. He's like, I haven't been told that the rules are that you can't break through the bushes. And no one was told that. And you know Dean in the maze would be fully geared up with like a helmet and a mouthpiece and shoulder pads. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. I can see it in my head. How about Breanne Brown? I think Breanne Brown would have went and found Fleur as soon as she heard her scream. Because she would have been like, this sister needs my help. Yes. Girl power. Caitlin Dismuke. Katie Dismukes? Yeah. What she would have done differently is instead of touching the goblet at the end, she would have straight Michael Jordan palming a basketball and just boom dunked it in Cedric's face and would have been like boom son was it Michael Jordan who did like tongue out dunk like he had his tongue out like fully out like that was his expression like I don't know if I've ever seen that really am I making that up I'll put it in the show notes I thought that was like his trademark thing I don't know what do I look like Katie (laughs) Dizook how about Austin Scroggins Austin would have used his phone To find the goblet. Sure. Because he would have dropped a pin where the goblet was going to be and then used Bluetooth. He would have put a tile on it. You know, tile? Yeah, he would have hooked a tile to the goblet and then just used his phone to get there. He's like, okay, you boomers, like, why are you taking so long (laughs) to do this thing, which is really simple. It's fantastic. How about Faith Kenfield? 
I think that Faith would have just let Cedric have the cup. She would have just been like, I'm not moving. I'm not getting up. Take it or nobody takes it. Yep. Oh, that's great. Vicky Gutherless and Rick. I think they would have tamed the Scroot. Oh, yeah. There was a famous Shakespeare play called The Taming of the Scroot. That's not what it was called. <laughs> I think they would have tamed the Scroot because they have cats and they're really good with animals. Yeah. And they probably would have just Vic and Rick rode that bitch to the Goblet of Fire. Oh, I love that. They would have not only tamed it, but like used it to help them. They would be feeding it treats and it would be farting them out the other side. Absolutely. They would love it. Fart fuel. Yeah. So good. How about Kelly Moore? I think Kelly Moore would have cosplayed as someone else to confuse the other contestants. Ooh. So she would be in there. She'd come around the corner. Cedric would run into her, but she'd be dressed. She'd be cosplaying as Hermione. Or she would be cosplaying as Fleur or one of the other contestants. I love that. Yeah. I think she would have used cosplay for a distraction. Ben Clark. Ben Clark would have kicked Victor Crumb's ass. Absolutely. There would be no stupefy. He would just jack his jaw. He just just lay him out. Yeah, he would have kicked his ass. Samantha Tillman. The biggest thing she would have done differently is she would have entered the maze with roller skates on. Obvi. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Nick Tillman. Nicky wouldn't enter the maze. He'd get his freaking guys to do it. <laughs> yeah, Nicky doesn't enter the maze. Nicky's not going to mess up his good suit to enter a freaking maze. No, he's got one of his dudes. Heather Bevels. I don't think Heather would have fallen for the golden mist shit. She'd have no. been like, uh-uh, no, not doing it. I'm that. not doing that. Mm-mm. Yeah. And that probably would have been good because I think Heather's like me. She would have been like, F this if everything turned upside down. Yeah. She'd be like, red sparks, I'm done. Yeah. So that would have been a good call. Natalia Ward. The Warden. The Warden. I think she would have made friends with the Sphinx. Mm. Not solved the riddle, but he would just let her by anyway. Okay. He'd be like, you know, I'm supposed to give you this riddle, and if you don't answer it, I'm not supposed to let you by. But you are absolutely delightful. (laughs) Please, by all means. I love it. Peter Collins. Peter. Peter would have already unraveled the whole scheme of Victor and the Dick Tracy watch and the whole thing and would have been like, no, I'm not entering the maze. He's got like a cork board with like pins and strings that connect yeah. people to he's other people. He's got a hot cuppa that he's sipping on as he's yes. like going, this doesn't pan out, mate. It's fantastic. Joshua J. Bay Bailey. The manager of Muskrats? Absolutely. I think that as soon as Victor attacked Cedric, with the Crucio curse, I think Josh would have sent up the red sparks and said, no, I'm not leaving the maze. I just wanted to let you know that one of the contestants is throwing curses on other people. So true. Because he's a teacher and he would have been like, no, no, young man. No, no, you don't. Oh, no. You're not getting away with that in my freaking class. Taking him by the ear. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And last but not least, someone with a birthday coming up, Jennifer Ayers. I think that Jennifer Ayers would have brought some of that sticky, icky gillyweed from Colorado. Hell yes. And put it in the Goblet of Fire so that it smoked out the whole maze and made the other contestants stoned. Yes. But she would be wearing a mask so she didn't breathe it, and then she would run up and win. Oh, that's fantastic. Very smart. And happy birthday, Jen. Happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Okay, time for winners and losers. Who is your winner? R.I.P. Cedric Diggory. Absolutely. It freaking should be. He's the winner 
for a lot of reasons, not just because he died, because that's not a winning move. <laughs> but one, he was kind to Harry yes. for what I refer to as the breakfast of champions, which is after breakfast where they, the champs had to like meet up. Absolutely. He was excited for the surprise that he knew was waiting on oh, Harry. Oh, that's such a good point. Which was really cool. Yeah. When Amos was a dickhead, he did not go along with his dad's crap. He was like, don't worry about my dad. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah. And then his sportsmanship and fairness at the end with the Goblet of Fire. Absolutely. He showed great integrity. We haven't seen anything but integrity from Cedric. And now we won't see anything else from Cedric because he's dead. Because he's dead. Well, my winner, Cedric Diggory, of course. And you, honestly, you just put all of my reasons into words as well. Uh, I don't have anything really to even add to that. I think you just put that beautifully. The the one thing I hadn't considered that you mentioned is his excitement for Harry about the surprise after breakfast. I had not thought about that. That's a really, really lovely thought. But just his his Hufflepuffness, right, and valuing fairness and loyalty and especially the moment with his dad. That's the biggest yeah. one for me. What I love about the Harry-Cedric relationship is that Harry is so jealous of Cedric and kind of hates on him yeah. for the whole Cho thing. He has this jealousy about Cedric because he doesn't know who he is. Yeah. But really learns that he's someone to strive to be like. Definitely. He could learn a lot from Cedric. Cedric's another hero in this story. For sure. Also, damn, Cho's single again. <gasps> Too soon? Honey. Honey. Too soon. Okay, who is your loser? Albus Dumbledore. (gasps) Tell me why. Because he should have seen this coming. Mm. He knew it was a bad move when Harry's name came out of that goblet. And he thought, I wonder why Harry's name came out of the goblet. The kid that literally Satan himself is trying to kill who goes to my school. Oh, well, can't argue with a goblet contract. Might as well put this kid in the maze. And he's the reason that Cedric's dead. And all of the responsibility falls on Dumbledore's head. Damn, hon, that is a hot take. That is a hot, hot take. Well. My loser, Amos Diggory. Yeah. What an absolute dick. Ugh. And listen, I recognize this man, he doesn't know it yet, has lost his son, right? This is the last time it's going to be fair for me to give him the loser award, so I'm going to take it right now. Yeah. He's the worst. He's the literal worst. He just continues to be the literal worst. Absolutely hate this guy. And I hope that he thinks about how he's been once his son is dead. One would hope. Because he needs to. Okay, I'm ready for dad jokes. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Mine's really lame. Aren't they always? But listen, I loved my joke last week, and I feel like I'm just going to have to ride the glory of that one for a couple of weeks. But also, a lot of that's the thing with dad jokes. You think they're lame, but that's what makes them good. So it's hard to say if they're bad or good. Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably going to like it. So go ahead and hit me with it. Okay. You know, when Molly came back to Hogwarts and was visiting, she had forgotten about the terrible Hogwarts ragweed. Just say like, really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I guess we're just going to have to call her Molly Sneasley. <laughs> You're not even I thought you were going to say Molly Wheezy. 
No, because that's what Dobby calls Ron. Yeah. It just gets confusing. Not your best work, but <laughs> it got a chuckle out of me. No, it didn't. I didn't see you chuckle. Internally, I did. <laughs> did you hear what happened at the uh, Triwizard Tournament? The Goblet of Fire ended up turning into a port key when Harry and Cedric touched it. Really? Yeah. It was a grave situation. Oh, God. <sighs> that one just makes me mad <laughs> more than anything. Too soon. Too freaking soon. Oh, my God. Well, we love you guys. Those of you who are in the U.S., we know it's an absolute shitstorm right now. But we love you. And we're going to just try and be facing all this together. Right. And those of you who aren't in the U.S., it's still a shitstorm for you, too. It's a shitstorm everywhere. If you live in the world right now, welcome to the shitstorm. <laughs> the Dark Lord has risen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At any rate, we are so, so close to finishing this book. Yeah. I think we've, I don't know exactly how many chapters we have left, maybe four, four or five, something like that. It's not very many. So uh, we will pick back up in the graveyard next week and see what happens next. You know, I was thinking about the podcast yesterday because like you were saying, it's hard to think about anything other than negative stuff right now. And I was experiencing such a thrill thinking about the friends that we've made the fun that we've had. Yeah. Every week we have this dedicated time together to laugh and talk about literature, which is fun. That's true. But also just the relationships that we formed with listeners, people that have emailed us and sent us questions. It has really given us more friends across the pond. It's given us a chance to get a little perspective about our country from other people. Yeah. And it's given me a lot of perspective about UK politics that I didn't have. Yeah. And it has really been the joy of this entire podcast has turned out to be the listeners. Definitely. And I know from my friends Mike and EB who run CoasterRadio.com, ding, <laughs> that that's really what it's about. It's about the listeners. It's yeah. not about anything else. And it's about forming those relationships. and getting to know them and sharing this story. And the more I go into this series, the more I realize that Potter fans are a certain breed of people. Yeah. And they think about the world in a certain way. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are Harry Potter fans. Oh, yeah, I love Harry Potter. I've seen all the movies. I read all the books. Mm -hmm. But they're not nerd fans like you are. Right. Like mega nerds. And what separates the diehard Harry Potter fans from the casual fan, I think, is a certain ideology, a certain belief in kindness and overcoming darkness. And it's just been a beautiful ride so far. And I'm going to be so sad to finish this book. So yeah. what is our next book? Is it Order of the Phoenix? Yes. And did you say that's a really long one? It's the longest of the series. Wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's only marginally longer than, say, like, book seven deathly hallows but it's still page wise the longest of the series i'm a big fan of order of the phoenix order of the phoenix is a divisive book really yeah it's a really divisive book it's one of my favorite absolute favorite books of the series i think it is fantastic but a lot of people do not like order of the phoenix for various reasons so that makes me want to ask you this question okay 
You know how you've said that you were worried that I might not like the series or that it might not resonate with me? Mm-hmm. Do you worry at all looking forward into the plot, especially in Order of the Phoenix? Do you worry at all that we'll have really conflicting feelings about anything in the series? Yeah. There are a few things that I worry we're going to have conflicting feelings about. But I will tell you that I have no doubt that our opinions about the books as a whole, I think, are really going to line up. Because the reasons why I, for instance, love Order of the Phoenix as a book are the same sorts of things you're already really passionate about in the series. It's those things kind of amplified. Um But there are a lot more specific character arcs and decisions that are made that I do worry that we're going to diverge on because I have really strong opinions about some of them. And there is a lot of room for disagreement. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. So we want to know how you guys are doing. Check in with us. Yeah. Where can people find us? Instagram at the Fox and the Foxhound. Twitter at Fox and Foxhound. No, these, thighs are thou. Exactly. Facebook.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. The website, the Fox and the Foxhound.com, where you can find show notes and past marriage lessons and past prophecies and all sorts of goodness. Electronic mail. Electronic mail, the Fox and the Foxhound at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. That is where you might go if you want to help us help support the show and the future of the show and, and our ongoing making of it. We absolutely love our Patreon family, uh, all levels. I know we specifically mention our Marauder level every single week, but we love all of our patrons so much. Special thanks to Judson Hurd, our composer, and Josh J. Bay Bailey, our manager of mischief and minister of magic and manager of muskrats, apparently. Yes. Okay. Minister to muskrats also. Okay. Every Sunday morning. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that that's all I've got in terms of announcements. We love you guys. <laughs>